So in 2017, we noticed a lot of Syrian refugees coming, Iraqi, uh, from the Saddam Hussein regime, and also... Welcome to the Barracks Podcast. Welcome to the Barracks Podcast. Welcome to the Barracks Podcast. Featuring Amanda Keen and Kirsten Kosian. The views, comments, statements, and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the official position of the Salvation Army. As kids, we believe that the angels talked. Everything is magic till you think it's not. It's easy to be thankful for the things you've got. It takes guts to give thanks for the things you've lost. Episode nine. Nine is my favorite number, everyone. Oh, really? Why is Anyone that? Anyone want to guess why? Is that how old you were when you? <laughs> I don't know. My birthday Eight. September 9th. What? Nine nine. So you like your birthday? I do. I love my birthday. So you like yourself? I love myself. So that's why in it's an your appropriate amount of way or amount of what? In all the most in, appropriate in ways. The, in the appropriate <laughs> amount of love is there an inappropriate i don't think of myself of yeah like, like if you love yourself above all other people well who else is gonna love you the most jesus mm. <laughs> but he he already likes john better like john the disciple i mean like have you ever it's read not the really bible better i think it's just different yeah, you you know now you now you sound like a parent talking to the kids, <laughs> trying to say there's no favorites, but there is. We and know everybody there knew is. that there was a favorite. Everyone knew, actually, and it I, was you know Amanda. What? I'm saying this and right. Was I was gonna say I don't think I'm I'm not the favorite. Okay, my parents my parents love each one of us. Aman- the same. Amanda's siblings. But different. Do you want to tune in on this? You know what? Elise you want to give listening, some feedback sure. here? Mom is listening. Maybe put too. a little comment down there. <laughs> Somewhere wherever the she comments can go. She loves us all. Okay. Mm. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's switch the conversation. You want to talk about your siblings? You want to go down that road? Who's listening? John. John's probably listening. Matt. Matt. Maybe. maybe. Tata. Actually, I don't know. Natalia, do you know that I have a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that Gail's listening and Phil. That's true. So, so maybe people I am chime a in. favorite. 
use hashtag the barracks podcast. No, I'm I've just got kidding. four out of five of my family members tuning in. Yeah. Maybe. Actually, maybe just three. Yeah, Matt might not be. Matt, are you listening? Matt, <laughs> can you hear me? Say something. <laughs> Thank you, family, okay. for listening yes. to our podcast. Or not. I mean, it's okay. Or you not. don't have to listen. No, it's okay. If you're not listening, you can't hear this. <laughs> but so anyway, moving on. We're on episode nine. We are. AKA Amanda's favorite episode. Okay, now I didn't say that. And all the rest of the episodes are just a waste of time. No, okay. So that not is one through eight or ten quite dramatic. after ten. Do you do you do much drama? You all drama. Of, all the drama. All drama all the time. <laughs> but this is a fun episode because yeah. um, Sylvia, we're going to hear from Sylvia. Sylvia. And I Sylvia. lived in community with Sylvia for a little while and in the south side of Chicago and was just really blessed by that. And she means a lot to me. Um, our paths do not cross or have not crossed since then. Mm. Uh, but um, she is a sister and... I'm really grateful for how the Lord is working in her, and I'm excited for you to hear from her. So let's tune in. We're super excited to have Sylvia with us this morning. And I know Sylvia um, because I lived in community with her for, how long was that? About three months, I think, in uh, Blue Island, Chicago, 2010, 2011, 2010, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was like 2010. So I think the world of Sylvia, and I wish that we were closer. Um, she's all the way. Well, why don't you tell us? Tell us a little bit. About, uh, uh, I can't talk. Blah, blah, blah. Tell us about yourself. Your, well, we said your name, but yeah. where do you live <laughs> and serve currently? Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Sylvia Overton. I currently serve in a town called Hayes, Middlesex, in Greater London. So it's on the outskirts of London. London is zone one centrally uh, and it finishes at Heathrow zone six. I'm zone five. So I'm on the greater London mission patch and uh, in England and uh, I'm currently ranked lieutenant. So I've been here for five years, coming up five years in July. Are they going to make you a captain? Um, <clears throat> it's a process. <laughs> <laughs> it's a process let me just tell you that i'm a lieutenant and lieutenant sounds so much better like that sounds so much cooler than lieutenant <laughs> yeah. we're session mates right are, we are, are session mates. we yeah. actually i'm a disciple of the cross but yeah. um a, a lieutenant and a lieutenant i think yeah i think lieutenant's kind of i'm not sure that i like the fact that it's associated with the left rather than the right but um, in terms of politically, but I think the blue, the whole loo thing in England, we call it the toilet a loo, right? So I think it's probably, <laughs> if you have to have an option, and I guess it's lieutenant. <laughs> oh my God. So now lieutenant is even worse now thinking about loo, the loo. Right, okay. Yeah, the loo, the pretty, yeah, the toilet, yeah. Unless, oh, well. you, unless you have a good, unless you have a good relationship with your loo. <laughs> But I think um, as holy people of God, where we have a, you know, we're clean, right? So the loo doesn't really have that connotation. I think we're clean, living, holy people of God. So there's no nothing decrepit about lieutenant. <laughs> oh boy. Well, <laughs> maybe I'll be a captain soon, so we won't have to worry about the loo so much. Um. Okay. So you, thank you for sharing a little bit about that. Um. 
the next question we have for you. So just in general, what are some of your dreams and passions as an officer in the Salvation Army? Um, I guess, firstly, I consider myself a disciple of Jesus in the platform that's being given in officership. Um, and um, as one that is kind of, um, I guess, my leadership gifting is prophetic, uh, I believe that um, my dreams and my hopes are in the times that we're living in is for there to be a real sort of um, um, just to witness an adventure with Holy Spirit in the context of diverse community, um, seeing God move powerfully amongst people who wouldn't ordinarily go to church um, and encountering uh, the power of God in the community in terms of healings and miracles and uh, raising people from the dead and and that very real basically my if I could sum it up it's the full expression and package of acts <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. yeah in the times in which we live we this is really end times I'm it's not a topic we can really uh, can really talk a lot about uh, in the context of uh, um, the modern uh, um, expression of the army but um, I really believe we're on uh, the verge of a you know um Christ's return and so therefore a lot of my I guess my dreams are really his dreams right like yeah. my dreams are really not really important I think as I serve I get to adventure with what God's doing in this hour mm -hmm. time is short and I guess my any dreams that I have that I just stay close enough to Jesus to see his dream right the kingdom mm. yeah I love that Sylvia thanks for sharing <laughs> Yes. Um, so kind of thinking about your dreams and passions, and I, I heard a little bit coming through in your answering of that last question, but we know that at the core that you're currently living or where you're serving, you're yeah. living in community with Iranian, Iraqi, and Syrian refugees, right? Yeah. yeah. So how, how did this ministry, and I put ministry slash community, cause like, that's what it is. You're living in community. Um, yeah. how did this start? And can you tell us what this looks like on a day-to-day -day basis in your ministry? Yeah, I um, was trying to abbreviate this on my notes when you kindly forwarded me the questions in advance. And I thought, wow, how do I go about this? And it went to about two pages, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So let me just give you a snapshot of the beginnings, I guess, because that's important for people who are listening in regards to being sent somewhere where there's nothing happening. Mm. So in 2014, I was commissioned as part of a church planting team with some very experienced um, prayer warrior officers, church planters in the UK. That was my commissioning was as an incarnational officer, not a core officer. Cool. <laughs> I want that appointment. <laughs> that sounds beautiful. Yeah, it was the first of its kind. Well, the, the only reason I got it is because they didn't have an appointment for me, basically, and I had to pray and find out where to go. <laughs> what? Well, that there was no appointment over here too. There was no appointment for me in the system because in the UK, uh, the an, a, an officer becomes a core officer, which is you go into a place that's already existing that's been mm -hmm. off somebody else. And uh, in my training in the Salvation Army, God called me to um, be a new wineskin expression and to go to the places where there's nothing with my little pick and my axe and my little prayer and my little prayer closet and get praying and, and then God would reveal what the ministry is. And so I was given um, 
um, as part of my team, um, the husband and wife were given um, an inner city ministry, which is only 20 minutes from here. I was given a closed church, uh, Salvation Army Hall, which had nothing in it. It wasn't a church. It hadn't been a church, no Christian expression for 11 years. Mm-hmm. And I was given that. Uh, the hall was occupied every day by uh, British ethnic minority groups. Uh, the area has um, in excess of 80% of people not born in the UK. The predominant religion is Islam. And uh, I'm the only white female on the high street. Wow. And I'm a female too, which is uh, culturally in, in countries that are Islamic um, is kind of a... Basically, I've had a marriage proposal for three years and then, you know, they just left me alone after that. It's basically, it's not seen to be that a woman should be on her own or let alone needing a church. Um, So I was given this kind of um, place where I I just prayed. I had the hall was full of activities that were nothing to do with the Christian faith. Um, And I, I walked around the neighborhood. I engaged with different sectors of our closed communities. So we have closed communities. Uh, we have Somali, Somali land, Eritrea, the whole Horn of Africa, Ethiopia, uh, Kenya, um, Ghana, Nigeria. Mm-hmm. These are the nations on my patch predominantly. And then in 2017, we had a great influx of refugees from the Middle East due to the Syrian crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Iranian um, upheaval, political upheaval, which is largely uh, religiously driven through politics, uh, which created a massive upheaval amongst the young people. So a lot of Iranian refugees started arriving into Hayes. Uh, the area is uh, populated by government um, accommodation. It's close to Heathrow Airport, so it's close to all the, the tribunals and the uh, correction centres and the um, detention centres are all within a very short distance. So. We have an en masse accommodation of um, housing for asylum seekers in the area. So in 2017, we noticed a lot of Syrian refugees coming, Iraqi uh, from the Saddam Hussein regime and also um, um, Iran from the Kony um, um, regime and, and what's going on there and the, 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 un- the uprising that's happening amongst the young people who feel that their lives are dominated by uh, a barbaric uh, religion that offers no freedom. And those words would come out of the mouth of any Iranian that you spoke to here uh, at the Salvation Army. Um, most of uh, the, 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 the faiths of the uh, Iranian Syrians and, and uh, uh, Iraqis is uh, moderate Islam or Sufism. Mm-hmm. which is in the West known as mystical Islam. Mm-hmm. It's actually uh, the easiest one to connect to the Christian faith because it focuses mm-hmm. around the essence of that we are spirit and uh, that God is in everything. It's a bit pantheistic. It's a pantheism sort of at, at its root, but that's been the easiest kind of conversion that we've had so far. Um, the Iraqis tend to be who flee to the UK tend to be either atheists, so non-believing Muslims, and are treated as, treated as such in their country, are persecuted and imprisoned and beheaded, uh, even if they are Iraqi people. Um, or Shia Muslim, which is there are two sects of Shia 
that two sects of Islam, uh, certainly within this area in Hayes, which is predominantly Sunni and uh, Shia, which is more kind of, I guess, uh, relatable from a Christian perspective. Uh, you would call them perhaps in the West modern Muslims or moderate moderate Muslims, as we call them in the UK, moderate Muslims. Um, so uh, relatable um, Islamic people who are coming through the doors of the Salvation Army for basic practical needs. Um, yeah, does that answer it? <laughs> yeah, I think that kind of gets us started on at least understanding um, what the what your community looks like and yeah because yeah. I think that would be the day-to-day -day basis would be that you've got it sounds like you have a lot of activity happening in your hall not like necessarily Salvation Army looking activity I think it's probably the most primitive Salvation Army looking uh -huh. hall in 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 the division um, and I say that confidently because if you were to just pick up any of the old red books of the Salvation Army, Aggressive Christianity, Miriam Booth book, um, you know, um, Scott Railton's book, and this is the the essence of what they did. I, I just happen to have a haul. <laughs> um, so it's, it's not, I guess, in some sense, you could call it a church plant, but it's um, more that it, we're replanting something that was already here. And 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 the way to, because I'm dealing with closed communities, yeah, a lot of you, you just you know ministry started here by simply having a conversation with people about how they live and and going into their places of you know work and where they eat and where they hang out. A lot of the community um, that I deal with are women, because uh, women and their children. Because the men kind of men and women in Islam um, do life quite separately, mm. so we saw that there was this vulnerability within the um, within the women and the children part of community, I guess the sector of community, and so I focused on that because um, you know I could have relationships and dialogue with women because I'm a woman, and mm. and so and uh, you know any sort of um conversation with a man with a man was almost um there were so many barriers to even accessing that conversation just simply because of my gender so um we focused on um pretty much gender based ministry funnily enough and then when you help the women the men come <laughs> It's like the McDonald's effect, you know. You buy the kid the junior burger and then the parents go in and end up eating McDonald's. It's called the McDonald's effect. That's how they market their food. So so I just took that marketing ploy and I used it myself. <laughs> yeah. If we're, if we're to go to the lost and the broken and the vulnerable, well, then you're always looking in any community at ministry with, with women and children. Mm -hmm. Um. And um, when I was initially down here, I think the local police, um, there, there was some instability in the community, a crisis of faith. In 2014, there was Muslims being beheaded on the Libyan coast. Do you remember that in those jumpsuits, in those orange jumpsuits? It was pretty horrific. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so our community was really affected by that. And I'd only been here a short time. So there was a lot of religious unrest here. So I had to deal with some really uncomfortable confrontations on the high street and things like that. Um, but once that settled down and uh, they saw that 
you know, we just opened it. I just opened a drop in, you know, we, we took, um, I think a morning that was available, we opened a drop in and everyone that I'd spoken to, I just said, come and have a cup of tea and let's have our chat in the hall. It's nice and warm. And so we started off one day a week with like a three hour drop in and they created a safe space for people to come and talk to me and not talk in the street. Mm-hmm. And um, then they asked me what the Salvation Army do. And it became very apparent that a lot of them are asylum seekers, which in the UK, I don't know what the US system is. I think I experienced something of um, your asylum process when I was in Chicago. Amanda, with you, we um, we went down to the trailer park. I think you have what's called a trailer park. And we had that lovely Mexican family. Do you remember them? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and and just their living conditions and how they were to live without a green card was a real eye-opener for me. Well, in the UK, um, they're not allowed to work. So you come into the UK, uh, seek asylum, and you cannot work. You have no permission to work. And you live on £37 a week, um, mm. which I don't know what that is in US dollars. I can quickly look it up. But you live on £37 a week uh, and you have no ability to connect to the local authority, which is like the local council where you can get services that ordinary British residents can get. So you really struggle with paying for your transport and getting to English classes and they've, they're, they really um, have a hard time. So um, we recognise that through the asylum seekers, lots of people needed legal advice. They couldn't afford it. We contacted a local law firm. They came up and they've been with us ever since for five years, giving one hour free legal advice to any asylum seeker that comes in. And it's been an absolute godsend. Um, We realised when we talked to, when I talked to a lot of the neighbours that they couldn't speak English very well. So we thought, okay, we could run an English class, but then we had a massive influx of Nepalese Gurkhas were given permission to enter the UK through Prince Harry in 2005. And uh, he made a way for them to seek asylum in the UK, uh, former military families, and they moved into the area in Hayes. And so we have this contingent of military families who fought for Britain, but are not wanted in their own family within their own country. Um, and so they came into the hall. Their English was so bad. Um, and what they found amongst all of the community, the refugee asylum community, were that um, they would go to the local college and learn school English, then go home and speak their own language. And then they would forget what they learned. So as a former professional dancer, I know all about practice. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So we made we made a group we made a we made a class we made a group a ministry called Conversation Cafe out of which um, was to birth the practice of English every week. So each week we have a theme. It's quite simple. We uh, we introduce we do introductions in English. We pull out some words that are associated to the topic of that week. For example, transport, how to catch the underground, how to catch the bus, how to ask, how to buy a ticket. Mm. and uh and then we and, and the, the the most important part for me as a ex-dancer was social engagement because there's so much you can learn when you engage socially around the table on any given day we have 15 nations mm. 
Wow. And that from Saudi, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Djibouti, Somaliland, Ghana, Russia, Georgia. I mean, every nation on earth around the table, and we're all doing conversation cafe and having tea and cake. So I introduced the tea and cake thing because it's a very British thing. Unfortunately, I've put on weight because of that. But anyway, <laughs> the sacrifice, sacrifice is worth it. Anything for tea. <laughs> And um, so what I do is I make tea and cake as a 15-minute break, and it, and I stress the importance of social interaction over a cup of tea and coffee because this is the culture of the UK. So I take little pockets of time to introduce them to the formalities of signing up, register, wear a badge. And a lot of those people come from countries where you don't do that, you know. We take for granted this administrative system that we live in, you know, the UK is being blessed by God with gifts of administration. We have a lot of order and forms and compliance and standards and risk assessments. These people come from nations with none of that, absolutely none of it. So you've got to introduce them to the basic thing. You have to wear a name tag, you know. Um, there's right. the fire exit. Um, we have a cup of tea in this culture. So it's not just a place to practice English. It's a place to meet new people, break down barriers of fear between nations and languages and engage in something of the English culture. Wow. So a couple of things that I want to highlight. Going back, you said um, that many were living on 37 pounds a week. Yep. yep. So I, I Googled that. And uh, so that would be 48 dollars and 19 cents um for us dollars so that's about 50 dollars a week just right. so we we kind of have context do, do they have housing provided? yeah yeah they, they're um they're accommodated in what's called nasa accommodation which is uh the british home office provide accommodation for them it is shared accommodation it is anywhere in the uk they have no choice where they live and it is shared, and it is shared toilet, shared kitchen, and they are often in not great condition. Um, I've seen them, some of them myself. Um, they're very, very basic um, and very cramped because they're often, especially in this area of London, if it's London-based, you know, people live on top of each other. We've got um, it's space is limited. So, uh, and some of them have children and, and, and they're living with different people from different nations and, and, and religious beliefs. And there's a lots of tension living in those houses. Wow. The, um, the thing that I've been kind of thinking about as I've been listening to you talk is so often, um, you know, whether this is a core officer or soldier or adherent or just someone affiliated with the Salvation Army goes into a community and oftentimes the temptation and what we actually do is go in with all of our, you know, preconceived notions and what we want to do, our agendas, right. and we kind of, you know, go into this and say, okay, this is what we're doing right. without actually looking like what, what is the community around me? What are the needs of this community? Yeah. Yep. And we program for the sake of just doing a program when a lot of the time we are completely missing a mark, you know, like we're not, we're not in line with the heart of the community. And oftentimes we're not in line with the heart of Jesus because right. we're 
So like, totally. really, we're doing this. We know what we should be doing, you know? Totally. And, 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 and discipleship is about not knowing, right? When, when, um, I had the great privilege of working with an amazing church planter in Canada for three years. And uh, I was always taught in my training to be that when we go into community, we are the students, they are the teachers. Um, and that's how I posture myself. All Every ministry that has happened here, that's being created from scratch, is being created in response to the needs of the people that I minister into. We only have to look at a theological perspective of Dr. D.A. Carson, one of your favorites there, who is also one of my favorites. I actually uh, mm -hmm. like some of the American theologists. are fantastic. And D.A. Carson was quoted yeah. as saying his father, actually it was his father's quote, which says that a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. So basically, this is how I do my ministry. So if I translate that in officer language, an officer put in a community with an officer without a community, you know, is basically can do whatever they want to do, right? Yeah. They, they can do whatever they want to do. But, right. it, but calling is about others. William Booth made that very clear that yep. the calling is about laying your life down and having that platform to journey with the Spirit of God into a community. And to listen to where God is in the heart of the people. Yeah. We can translate that to, to identify what the needs are of the people, pray about it, and then the Lord births that by giving provision. Yeah. It's the opposite. It's the other way around. It's if, if, if we're going to go into a new place and stamp and stamp a standard on people that's incredibly stressful and yeah. not fruit producing because people need to be free to encounter God. They need to be themselves. They, they want to encounter substance and not form. Mm. And it's a substance of the Holy Spirit. It's, it, it, it is, it's a spiritual encounter they have with you, the transparent, real, authentic Sylvia the girl who doesn't get things right, the girl who's over-enthusiastic, can be annoying, the girl who with a strange <laughs> accent, the girl who's not British, oh, God, we're going to learn English with an accent, that girl <laughs> who, who says, Jesus, just use me. We go into the community to be changed. Hmm. We, we should be coming out of our communities as officers completely looking different after a five-year appointment. Hmm. We're not bringing the Salvation Army to people. We're bringing Jesus to people. Yeah. I'm going to cry again. Oh, my God. This, <laughs> this series is getting me. Um, oh, gosh. Yes, 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 yes. You know, I just, this, <laughs> Sylvia knows, I'm pretty sure, that this. She's Amanda, Amanda, my, my memory of Amanda. I used to always go back home and think, I wish I was less radical and more, more, more. She's a wrap your arms around people type, you know. I used to watch her with the youth. And she's some, Amanda, you're someone who wraps your arms around people. You become one with them in the skin first. Like, and I, I'm, I'm just so kind of like, um, you know, there's like a storm around me most of the time that people want to stand away from. But I used to love that about you. And I used to, God, I wish I could be more like that, you know. That's Aww. your, you wrap, 
you wrap your arms about it. You you wrap your skin around people, and mm-hmm. and that's everyone has brings something different. And you know, like I know that there is a time where I need to go from a community because I need to I need someone with a gift like that, right? Mm-hmm. I can I can go in there and and start firing cannons and blowing up things and and digging up stuff and calling things out and rooting things out and casting things down I can do that right right but I know in your gifting like I'd need Amanda for the next level right when I got actually got when I actually go from this is just an example of some of the women that I work with I work with trafficked women Mm. you know when I when I get the call on my text when I get a text saying I'm in modern day slavery job. Go pick up a woman who's just been rescued from trafficking from the police, right? Go pick them up. I get my chaperone. We put on our uniform. We get the care package done. We drive to the place. We pick up this traumatized woman in the car. She goes and we do this journey and take it to a safe house. When I take it to the safe house, so then she comes, visits me from the safe house to this local Salvation Army for extra food, for connecting with other women. From that point, she then gets put into the asylum process if she gets a positive decision. In the asylum process, she lives in that house for six to 12 months, maybe two years, three years or four years if she's Albanian, takes a bit longer. And she lives in the community but is is in the community but not of the community because they're only on £37 a week. They're restricted in their connections to the fuller community. And in that place is my wilderness ministry, you know. And then I'm ministering to the women there, buying them prams, you know, holding them when they cry, referring them to counselling, you know, helping them speak English, you know, all this stuff. And then when they finally get their decision and it say, yes, you're in the UK, then um, my job then is to take them to the local council and get them housing. So with that whole process, I do like five to six years of levels of, of ministry to one people group and then when they're in the house and they're happy in the house you know then then we're they're still coming to church then we're trying to you know they're coming into the faith there's this massive journey that you take with them through different tiers uh, you know it's literally walking alongside the people ups and downs ups and downs and you know and that's not on top of the homeless people that we've got and the drug addicts and the alcoholics in the local community um so it's it's a it's ministering into the wilderness this ministry i would describe as a wilderness ministry with a mosaic call and mosaic nature to it you have nothing you look out there and there's nothing um you have to pray you have to meet people for divine appointments and god makes a way he literally parts the sea of this islamic community and he brings these people here and after five years, we've got like 15 people in a in a Bible study. I mean, every nation on earth around that table. People choose to cook from week to week. We have Iranian one week, Moroccan the next week. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that. People love it. They get to cook in a big kitchen that's not shared with everybody else. Yeah. You know, yeah. we, fund, we fund the food. They have a great time. And they end up volunteering in the dropping because they love what we do, you know. And, you know, we've got um, like a Sunday cafe church. You know, every member is a trafficking victim. Every member, a refugee or a trafficking victim. You know, I don't have normal people. I don't, I mean, normal, what's normal? It's a position on the washing machine, Daniel used to say. Um, <laughs> and I think, I mean, if you look at this idea that we need to do, it's this constant rant about we need to change we need to change 
we just need to do Jesus. We just need to do what we know we're supposed to do, for goodness sake. Right. So, I mean, so, but the outfall as an officer, and I can say this, is that working with that level of chaos and danger, kind of high-risk area, um, calls into question then sort of the, the type of support that you must have uh, and self-care that you must have, which has been challenging here for me, especially as a former athlete, you know, I'm on the go, go, go. So rest and Sabbath and everything have been underwritten in in the rhythm of the community that I, that's here. So we have our pre- morning prayer. We have we do a Jewish Sabbath on a Friday. It's a day and a half. I think my line manager was like, what are you doing, a day and a half? And <laughs> that's it. I said, because it's sundown to sun up. <laughs> yes. Day and a half. And um, and I said, if I don't have that, I'm not going to survive. So, I mean, I really had to evaluate myself within the context of my community. Um, you know, and that's been, I work largely with a traumatized community. They've either come from war in Syria, the bombs dropped on their house. They're all PTSD or CPTSD or torture victims from the Libyan border or trafficked women, either labor or sex trafficked. You know, right. and then you've got your locals, you know, but the predominant people that come here come here for what the army's known well for, which is practical support, soup, soap and salvation. And actually, that's exactly what I'm doing here. We It took me four years to convince my DC to get me a shower in here, but I managed to, um, between changes, I managed to scout some funding and get one put in myself. And um, and as a result of that, it's used every day we're open, that shower. I think I underestimated with the funding people how much it was going to be used. And so we are literally doing soup. We do soup twice a week on an, what's called open table, which is Acts chapter 2, verse 43. We invite people to the Last Supper table. Everyone sits there. That's traumatic for people because of their situations to sit face to face and have a conversation. We say the grace. Mm. We say the grace. We do the Jesus thing. Mm-hmm. If we're going to be the church, we need to model what the church looks like. And we need to be the church. We need to, if we're full-time ministers, we have the grace and calling and the honor to embody Christ. And we must be living it fully ourselves to be able to even see with a lens, with a with a kingdom lens, what it is that God's calling us to do. God is creative. Holy Spirit is a creative part of the Trinity. He moves and breathes and changes shape from fire to storm to steam to smoke. We see the, the manifestation of Holy Spirit. And when we're fully available to Christ in that way, we become the embodiment of him in our community, Christ incarnated. He, he is the spirit of God with meat incarnate in our neighborhood, connecting to the people, dusting his feet off when they didn't want. And this is what officership is. And it was always described like that in the books by William Booth and Scott Railton. That's how the army got its reputation, by being radically sold out for Christ and laid down lovers of Jesus. And everyone who has Holy Spirit can be, regardless of their spiritual gift, embodying that in the community where they've been placed. And that is the challenge today. And if we can look and focus on that, that that is our role, to be Christ to people, 
and then we're not boxing in people and trying to dance around and being kind and nice and avoiding hard conversations with people because Christ himself the truth of Christ penetrates, you know, into the core and the spirit of that person who's broken and lost, desperate to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, oh God, what do I even say anymore? I don't even know. That's yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Sylvia, for sharing that. And I Lord, let it be that we are an army and officers and soldiers and adherents and all of those um, that are led by the spirit in that way. Um, that's, I want to be part of that, you know? So as we close Sylvia, I just want to ask you one more question. Um, the series that we're doing, it's called digging new trenches and it's, we're just talking with people like you who are out there on the field in different capacities. Um, and they're just listening to the spirit and living it out, like advancing. How do you put it? Advancing the yeah, front line. Yeah, because like the front line, trying to keep, um, trying to keep up with God because He moves the front line, right? Yeah. 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 She just explains it well. So anyway, <laughs> um, but what guidance would you give to someone who is trying to listen to God's voice in their life, trying to hear the Spirit, live it out? What advice would you give to those people? Yeah, I think it's it's the challenge for the generation, the young generation, I think, as well, because uh, what I'm seeing and encountering with the young generation is uh, two kind of beautiful things, which is this kind of, you know, it's a generation that has access to knowledge and information like no generation has. And so there's this massive array of opportunities for young people to be educated in this and educated in that and we know from the scriptures that God used the uneducated he used the educated as well but he often was confronted by the educated he was confronted by the Pharisees all the time he constantly called out their hypocrisy (laughs) I think and I think as much as we need knowledge of course knowledge is power we need education I think the predominant focus and privilege of officership is to is the downward what I call the downward life the down mo, downward mobility you know we can go a lot of the, the education around the offices now is upward mobility and I think we need it you always need the courts and the temple you know but you need the watchmen and you need the soldiers and you need the gatekeeper and you need all of those to make an army and I think there's too many people in the courts and there's not enough people on the wall. There's not enough. So no one knows what times we're living in. No one's watching the enemy. And what happens, we're so busy navel-gazing in the courts of the synagogue that, you know, we're not even informed about the context of where we are because we're not looking out. Yeah. And and so my, my advice to anyone who's um, in, in a situation where you're wanting to do the will of God is, is really just to quote Reinhard Bonnke, which is a wonderful um, missionary in South Africa, um, who said to a, a group of university students uh, on his travels, you know, some student yelled out and said, you know, what is what I need to do to be a Christian? And he said, read your Bible and pray. 
And if we look at all the opportunities that are presented before us today as Christians, a lot of them are embedded in, in education. They're not in, and, and they're embedded in equipping ourselves instead of spending ourselves. Although we need a nice balance of both, but to hear from God is to spend time in his presence. It's to spend time. It's 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 to put aside and to 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 lay aside as sacrificial uh, sacrificially, but also as in it, to revere God is the response. Yeah. To prayer is the response to be revering God. To revere God calls you into a place that puts Him first because you're spending time with Him. It's not just doing a daily devotional. It's not just having a diary and writing down what you think he says that's going on in your life right now, according to what the Bible's speaking to you. But it's about being, you know, available, um, available to him in a sort of broader context, you know, in, in, in fellowship with other Christians and in, 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 in trusting God speaks through the smallest thing. I mean, I've had, I, I mean, I'm here as a lone worker at a, at a core plant in the middle of an Islamic area with over 80% of people who are seeking asylum who are pre-first generation British. I'm literally in the wilderness of the nations, ministering into that. And how I hear from God, I'll give you one example, is a Sufi man from Iran, a young guy, he's a musician, spoke to me and he said to me, Sylvia, you're different. You're a number 30. I said, what's that? He said, I'm a, I'm a mathematician. The number 30 is the number that you need to form statistics. You get 30 examples of something and it brings about a really, really good result every time. We can't explain it. It's the number 30. And people want to get rid of the number 30 because it's different. They want to get rid of it. They don't really want to rely on 30, but every time it comes back to is that you need the number 30. And so we need, we need to... We need to be accepting people with different gifts and expressions of the spirit. Right. And, and listening to God is about giving that time to him and putting yourself in a context, allowing yourself to be put in a context where you literally just put your arms out there. You're hanging on the cross for Christ and he begins to open your eyes and you begin to suffer with the people. You suffer with the people and the suffering opens your eyes to the kingdom of God within the community. And then you can walk with the people and you can talk with the people and you've got dialogue with the people. The people will come out with the most amazing affirmations, people who are not Christian. God speaks to them. Do we limit God so much? Mm. We, can't we can't limit him. You know, I was needing affirmation of something and the Iranian refugee confirmed something to me. Mm. Um, I... I, I was feeling down one day and thinking, is this any good? It was in the early days of, of having not many people here and struggling. And some guy walks in, he, he'd had a stroke. He had a little um, pusher, you know, one of those Zimmer frames. And he walked in. I'd only seen him on the street and he just released a few words, which were, God's very pleased with you, Sylvia. Have a nice day. These sort of things. God is using people all the time to confirm yeah. and affirm. You know, I had one woman got off a London bus. We have a bus stop outside the court at the ch church hall and a woman got off the bus. She was from the local seminary, from the London Theological Seminary. And she looked like it too. She looked like she knew what she was doing. I thought, oh no, it's the only Sunday I've prepared a really bad sermon. 
<laughs> and she walked in. <laughs> she walked in, sat down and said, would you mind if I just listen and pray with you at the end? God told me to get off the bus today and to pray for the minister in this building. And I said, that's fine. And at the end, she came up to me and I said to her, so I said, how was my sermon? She said, I'm not interested in your sermon. I'm interested in you. And I'm the Lord wanting to pray for you right now. And I want to encourage you. And she released a whole bunch of encouraging words to me, walked away. And she said to me, you'll never know who I am and you'll never see me again. So when you live in the wilderness and you feel you're alone, God is right there with you in the people, many of whom aren't consecrated, many of whom don't know Jesus yet. And, and I guess so therefore I'm talking about hearing from God is about always believing that God is able and capable to move through absolutely everything and he speaks. Yeah. We're so grateful that you were here with us and um, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, listeners, I hope you loved it. And we, we can't wait to hear your <laughs> feedback because it's wonderful. So Sylvia, we, um, I love you and I am grateful for your, your heart for the Lord and for people. And um, so we just bless your ministry. And yeah, we're, we're glad you were here with us. Thank you, Amanda. It's great to um, have you guys. Thank you, Carrie. Thank mm -hmm. you. And we're back. <laughs> Zane, delete all this. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, sorry. Inside joke. Um, yeah, no, but for real, welcome back. Welcome back, guys. That was wow. so good. Wow. First of all, can I just say that Sylvia is just really intelligent. <laughs> she's so smart. Like she's she, good with the words. She's very good with mm. words and the Lord has really blessed her in that way. Um one of the the parts that she talked about was <laughs> that quote she gave, which now <laughs> I can't remember. Context. The context, right? Because we had the conversation about so often you know, as an officer or right now I'll just speak about that cuz that's my perspective but we can go into a core we, we or a community and we start doing all of these things right like all the things that we think should happen mm. and we're not actually in tune with the heart of jesus number one and like the pulse of the community mm -hmm. you know and i think yeah, what's so beautiful yeah. about what sylvia has done like through the leading of the spirit is she has a good pulse like she understands a pulse of her community and that's how this refugee community has been kind of birthed and I think that's yeah. a really beautiful thing and a good yeah. lesson for us yeah like and definitely encouraging for those of you who are out there and you're already feeling the pulse of your community and getting yeah. involved like go for it keep going yeah do it do a good job you're doing the best you are doing the best you know what and I think something that I've learned from being at THQ, okay? I'm going to let you into my personal life. Like, I, that's a normal thing on the pad, on the podcast, so it's not the first time. You're pretty open. I am pretty open. Um, but one thing that's that I've learned is that I have the most, like, power and authority at the core level. Like, being at the core, I can... I'm in tune with the spirit and I can just like go with it. Right. At THQ, it, it feels, at least in my experience, like I've got to jump through a lot more hoops and, 
you know, get this person's approval and then this person's approval. And th that still is kind of the case at the core level. But I've learned that when I go back to the core, that there's going to be nothing holding me back. Like I put on expectations of myself mm. that are not of, of God. Right. I, yeah. I then start yeah. to think, oh, but like mm. DHQ wants me to do this. And I, these are the expectations yeah. from DHQ. These are the expectations yeah. from THQ. And half the time, honestly, they're not even real. Yeah. Like they're right. not. Right. And we, we can place a lot of blame on different people where it's not, it's not fitting. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is I'm, like, I want to just follow the spirit. Like, mm -hmm. if the spirit tells me to do this, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to trust that he's going to take care of the fruit. Yeah. Because, like, who's going to argue with the fruit, you know? Like, <laughs> so I, I guess I just share that because, one, I'm excited to, like, w when the time comes to head back into the core and and just be on the front lines. Like, that's where the real party's at, people. Like, honestly, and in my opinion, which you can take it or leave it, but what a special ministry to be, like, on those front lines. And my prayer is that, like, we are in tune with the Spirit, and we, we do understand, like, the pulse of the community, and we're serving true needs, not needs that we make up or needs that we want to program to, but, like, the true needs of the community. So we hope you are encouraged by episode nine. Any other closing thoughts, Kiri? Um, yeah. Well, I w cause I was thinking about what you were saying while you were saying it and mm -hmm. like thinking about, um, I think it's more than just like THQ versus front lines. So yeah. I, I definitely am hearing like for you, like it's like, that's where you belong. That's where, yeah. you know, that's where your heart is at is to be on the front line. Mm -hmm. But I think just to affirm maybe people who don't have that same yeah. excitement is that the, I think the most joyful spot I'll, I'm still sifting through this for myself to try to figure out what, what that place is. But like, um, I'm believing that it's wherever God is leading you. So yeah. like wherever the Holy Spirit is bringing you and guiding you to, that would be the place where you're finding life and joy and excitement. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, like this is something that I've been talking to like my counselor about, but that there are things maybe where – they're going to be hard or uncomfortable. Right. But that doesn't mean that that's not where God is calling you or leading you. Yeah, for sure. Which I, yeah. So, so it's kind of like this tension of what does it look like to hear God? Yeah. Um, what does God's voice sound like? What does it look like to be living in God's call mm -hmm. for you? Um, because it might not be, quote unquote all roses or you know whatever yeah, like for sure i don't know so just th yeah just think about it because there can be hard places in the places that god asks us to go like mm -hmm. so yeah absolutely so i'm still that's still something i'm trying to figure out though yeah to like work through because there's a lot people say a whole lot of stuff about god's will 
And I'm just like, okay. I'm not even sure sometimes what those two words mean together anymore because it's just like because it is something that we hear so much about people just throw it around god's will and well and like, half oh. the time it's because they're trying to tell you to do something they're right like, oh, like it's god's will for you blah 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 and it's like okay well okay well like maybe i like the bible yeah. i don't know it doesn't seem to teach that specifically about what god's mm-hmm. will is so right anyway it was like yeah a whole bunch of a whole bunch of stuff like so i'm i just am trying to say that i'm still figuring out what that means yeah and i've had a certain perception of what it means to hear god's voice and listen to god's will and i'm kind of in a place of like stepping back from that and trying to examine it Mm -hmm. from a just a different perspective and then see what yeah is still helpful. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. that was not, you know, I don't want anybody to get a misunderstanding that like, I'm not trying to say that being at a core is better than being at THQ or whatever. My heart is at a core. That's just where it yeah. is. Yeah. No. And I'm totally hearing that. Like, and good. You. Yeah. Yeah. But wherever you're placed, like we need people at THQ. We need people at DHQ. We need people in all kind of sections of the army so where god has placed you run with it yeah like 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 go for it and and, um, follow the spirit and and don't let your what spirit be quenched is that what they say something like like even if you feel discouraged about yep you know what they are doing or what the man you know is is trying to tell you like to keep going for it and lean lean in Mm -hmm. to the spirit like what the spirit is doing absolutely Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Kiri. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Uh, Bye. We'll see you next time. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. As kids, we believe that the angels talked. Everything is magic till you think it's not. It's easy to be thankful for the things you've got Takes guts to give thanks for the things you've lost